Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. Coming up on this episode, we preview Newcastle United versus West Ham. I'm joined by John Gibson as we look at it from the Newcastle United perspective and then by Football London's Tom Clark, the West Ham writer who is thoroughly enjoying his job at the moment with the side he covers battling for the top four. So pop on the kettle, make yourself a brew and settle down to this episode of the Everything is Black and White podcast. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. This is our weekend preview. Newcastle welcome West Ham to St James Park on Saturday afternoon. I'm joined by John Gibson to have a look at this game. John, it's nice to be going into a game on the back of a win first off. I mean, Newcastle obviously beat Burnley last weekend, so it is nice to be going in with a bit of positivity, I guess. Yeah, absolutely so, because it's it's quite a while since we had that. I mean, the two figures, facts and figures, can make out whatever you wish them to make out, we're told. And I guess that's true, because one way of looking at the Newcastle situation is that they've only lost one out of their last six Premier League games, and you can say, oh, that's terrific. Or you can say they've only won three out of the last 22 games they've played, which is absolutely horrendous. So in both sets of figures are right. I think the the set that's a bit sort of ambiguous is the uh, the recent run, because, of course, while we've only lost one out of six, four of them have been drawn, not wins. And, um, you know, a couple of the draws were poor draws. I mean, Spurs was a magnificent draw, a very, very good point. West Brom away was a horrendous uh, result because you've got to beat them. And, uh, you know, you look at Wolves and um, you look at Aston Villa without Grealish, etc. And they were opportunities to win and only drew. So the record, we, we've got to put a bit of a, a realistic view on where Newcastle are. Um, they mainly are where they are because Fulham have spectacularly imploded after threatening not to. But uh, of course we're grateful. The last two games we've got a good draw with um, uh, with Spurs and we beat Burnley away. Although I must say that um, I don't know about your good self, but at half time I was very apprehensive against uh, Burnley because we performed poorly in the first half. Uh, we were kept in the game in the main because of Dubavka, who was back to being what we knew him to be when he was player of the year at Newcastle. He was excellent. And then we brought the Saint on, who changed the complete complexion of the game, simply for one reason and one reason alone. The boys got talent in whatever else you, you have in football, whether you work hard, you've got a good attitude, all the things we applaud and are necessary you can't beat a big dollop of ability. And that changed the game completely for us. And uh, we got a double, and lo and behold, we're looking at the possibility of another double this Saturday, having won down at West Ham on the opening day of the season. Mm, it's interesting you mention your apprehension going into, into half-time, because Burnley looked brilliant. I mean, that was partly down Newcastle's woeful display, and you mentioned yeah. there, Dubravka keeping Newcastle in the game. I mean, Burnley arguably could have had two or three goals, really. They should have been in in half-time, oh. you know, better than 1-0 up. And yes. my fear is, John, I don't know about you, but my fear is is while 
Burnley were wasteful in front of goal and yes, Dubravka pulled off a few really good saves. West Ham have proved throughout the whole of the season, but especially over the last 10 games or so, that they're clinical in front of goal. And I do fear if they get the same sort of chances, we'll not be praising Dubravka, we'll not be praising you know, the defence for maybe throwing their bodies in front of the ball. We'll be looking at West Ham going in at half-time you know, a few goals up and then finishing the game, you know, two, three, four goals, uh, you know, better off. Oh, I mean, that worries uh, unquestionably there. We may have won on the opening day of the season, two now down there, but both clubs have headed in the opposite direction since. West Ham have gone upwards all the way to fourth top and we've gone downwards all the way to fourth bottom. So it's fourth top v fourth bottom. So we know what that means. And if you look at the way West Ham have played recently, uh, in the last three matches, they've come flying out of the out of the traps. They've been 3-0 up in no space of time whatsoever in the first half or at the, by the beginning of the second half. And then they've leaked goals. I mean, 3-0 against Arsenal become 3-3. And in the last two games, 3-0 to West Ham become 3-2 and 3-2. So... The fiery as can be in the first half, but can leak goals in the second. They're, they're a bit like we were under Kevin Keegan and the entertainers when um, it could be 4-3 in to either side. It's going to be very interesting. Yes, they can absolutely swamp us. There's no question about that. Um, but again, we've got to go in with an attitude that... Uh, We've done okay in the last two games results-wise, even though Burnley, as we said, I mean, Burnley first off was as atrocious as some of the games we've already mentioned. They were as poor, Newcastle first off, as they've been during that 22-match run. Um, but the game was transformed after that. We can't afford to give them the sort of start. If our performance on Saturday is the same as our first-half performance on Burnley, as you have suggested, we would be in massive trouble because they won't keep missing chances. Um, So we've got to start quicker and more purposeful uh, than we did at Burnley without any any trial or tribulation. The interesting thing is that we are getting back uh, to having the correct front three on the pitch, the best front three on the pitch, which is uh, St. Maximum, Wilson and Almiron. That does give you a chance at that end of the uh, the pitch if you get them together. And uh, I would certainly start with San Maximum this Saturday. I think he's ready to start. Wilson's a step behind him in terms of uh, match fitness, but... Um, Yes, it could be an interesting shootout because uh, we could get swamped or we could score ourselves with uh, if we can unleash those three. Hmm. Let's just stick with St. Max from there. I mean, first off, it was just really nice to see somebody with the desire to, to run forward. Not even the ability, let's just put that aside for one moment, but just the want and desire to create something and, and, and run at defences. We haven't seen that since really he got injured or maybe until... You can maybe say uh, Miggy's a bit like that, um, but we, you know, it's been rare in this Newcastle side for the last few months. Um, does that say though a lot about the options Steve Bruce has got? And uh, you know, 
he makes the point that without any team without their best players will struggle. We know what's at maximum Wilson and Almiron bring to Newcastle. But does that say a lot about the options outside of them three and, and, and looking ahead to the summer? Is it a bit of a, a rebuilding job? And I know we're looking ahead and Newcastle you know, are still in danger of maybe yeah. getting relegated. But I do I do look at you know St. Maximum's return and think it says a lot about what Seabus has got to work with outside the Frenchman and, and the, the other two names we've mentioned there. Yeah, oh, without a shadow of doubt. But whose fault is that? It's Newcastle United's fault. But is it Steve Bruce's fault or, or is it... Uh, Charlie Ashley and Nixon, who uh, buy the players regardless of who the manager wants. I mean, there is a rebuilding job to be done, but whoever is going to be in charge of that rebuilding job better do it better than they did last time round a year ago, because while Wilson was a tremendous signing, uh, Hendrick has proved to be anything but... Lewis can't get in the side, and Fraser's been a massive disappointment for me because he seems to be sulking and not playing for Steve Bruce in the way he plays for Steve Clark at Scotland. Um, so we need to recruit a lot better than we did a year ago, otherwise we're just going to waste the whole situation again. Um, and you see, the simple matter is that you can't beat class. There's absolutely no question. Of course, people of class will have the off days because they'll try the unusual thing, and when it doesn't come off, they will look poor. But they've got the ability to lift aside. Newcastle are predictable. We know what they're going to play. We know how the ball's going to come out from the back. The opposition know what the forwards are going to do because they can only do one thing, and they do it all the time. The, the thing is, when you're playing against San Maximum, is that he's unpredictable. And that's the fear value. And, I mean, he ran, he actually got the ball for the winning goal in just inside his own half and ran the whole length of the field with two players in front of him backing off. He sold them the biggest dummy you've ever seen. They were way down the motorway when he got inside on the other foot and buried it. Now, I would suggest there is not another player in the Newcastle side that has got the skillful attributes to do that. Wilson's not like that, but he's a magnificent finisher. I mean, Shiva wasn't like that, but look at the goals he got. And But he gives us that something extra, Um and that is what sides have got. That is what keeps sides up. The guy that you cannot predict and that the other team... Believe you me, if West Ham look at the Newcastle team on Saturday, they, they, the possible team, they will fear San Maximum because San Maximum is to us what Jesse Lingard is to them. And it's a matter of if they're the centre stage um, main act... It depends on the chorus line and on how they are supported, those two. And that's where West Ham have the edge over Newcastle, of course. Or you want to go to look at the league table to see that. But, um, yes, uh, we've got to look for more players. And the fans love players with a bit of a dash like that, from Ginola, from Hatton Bernard, from uh, Robert, from Beardsley, the best of the lot. We like players that are that bit different, that bit of class, that bit of swagger. And um, it's going to be interesting. Of course, the odds are stacked West Ham's way. 
they're fourth top. We are fourth bottom. Uh, the odds are in their favour, but if we can get Wilson onto the pitch as well and looking, he's had another week's training, looking capable of doing something, that's great. Of course, what we can't do is what Steve Bruce does very well, and that's hide behind, uh, well, any excuse that's going. Sometimes it's injuries, sometimes it's uh, COVID-19, sometimes it's just unlucky, sometimes we're tired, sometimes we're playing too much. But it, but injuries are part and parcel of the game, and West Ham are fourth top, Andrew, and they've played recently without their England midfielder, Declan Rice, and without that, that top goal-scoring forward, uh, Michael Antonio. But, you know, Moyes has managed to get a tune out of Mark Noble, who's come in for Rice and who's 33 and legs have gone, but played his 400th game for West Ham in the last time out. And Jared Bourne, who, of course, was at uh, Hull with Steve Bruce. Uh, they've come in for Rice and Antonio and you can't see the joint. Um, uh, so, you know, you've got to get over injuries and they've done it very, very well. Hmm. Just a final word on, on St. Maxim. With the, the goal, Jacob Murphy's goal, you know, he yes. runs into the box and he pulls it back. And, you know, one of my criticisms of St. Maximum has been that his decision-making can be a bit off sometimes. And I, I honestly think often when he's in that position that he found himself in, he would try and do it himself. He would maybe try yeah. and take another play on or turn back on himself and, and what have you, and then inevitably lose the ball. But he didn't. He did the right thing. He, you know, he was composed and he picked out Murphy for the goal. And I'm just wondering, do you think we've seen a bit of a, a change uh, this season in, in St. Maximin's game and approach where maybe his decision-making is better than what it had been when he first joined the club? Oh, without a shadow of doubt. Uh, I mean, when he first came to us, he looked like a juggler out of the circus who was capable of, of doing something spontaneous and outrageous from time to time. But a lot of his, he seemed to play with blinkers on. He didn't see people in a better position than than himself uh, and was unable to pick them out. He just either tried to do the impossible himself or just whack it across goal and hope somebody was around the end of it to, to try to finish. Now he gets his head up and gives himself that split second to see people and pick them out. He has improved, but he's a young boy. I mean, there was always the possibility to improve, and he has added those dimensions to his game, which is um, terrific. Of course he will have bad days, because everybody that's a ball player will try things and infuriate teammates or the crowd when they, on the day they don't come off. That is part and parcel of what you've got to live with with that type of player. But equally, he'll produce that bit of unpredictability. The, the, what is wrong with football is that it can be very, very predictable. But successful sides have got people that will do that different thing and will stand them apart. And that's how they basically stay up. And that's why Aston Villa have looked half the side they are when Jack Grealish hasn't been playing for them because he is their guy, like like um, San Maximum, who can do something a bit different and scares the opposition, worries the opposition. 
let's talk about Sean Longstaff back in the side for the for the last few weeks and you know he's done all right another good performance there against Burnley yeah. and you know he's got a long way to go hasn't he John to the levels that he that he, he reached when he first broke into the Newcastle United side but I do think he's slowly building back towards it and hopefully um, he starts against West Ham and we, we continue to see this improvement in his game without a shadow of doubt um, the the I mean, for a while, Steve Bruce completely ignored Sean Longstaff, Matt Ritchie and Jacob Murphy in terms of starting them. Since he's brought all three back into the side, I think all three have done excellently. Of course, a kid like Sean Longstaff is going to still be learning and have uh, things that he's got to improve upon. But you can see that he's got out of that terrible dip in form he had a little while back and is beginning to look something like the player that first arrived uh, in the Newcastle United side before he got that bad injury. Um, One of the confusing things is that his brother, Matty, is still being frozen out of matchday squads, never mind first-team starts, which is... Uh, an unusual state of events when there was so much trumpeting went on when he signed a new contract and we stopped him going to Udinese. Uh, but we've virtually not seen him since. So we need to look back at, um, you know, and, and be encouraged by what's happened. I mean, Jacob Murphy deserves a contract himself. Uh, there's absolutely no question about that. But there is a lot of questions being asked about who exactly decides who gets a contract and who doesn't. Because, you know, there were, there's been talk of Gale with a three-year contract, and yet until recently he was never starting. He started about two games in about six months at the start of this season. You know, we, we talk about people... Matty Longstaff got a, a contract and never see him again. Uh, we we don't know whether the contracts are being awarded by the manager or by the people higher up behind the scenes, um, because you get people getting contracts and they never appearing in the team, which sounds quite incredible. And I know Rob Lee is is quite convinced that the contracts are given from above, and then um, the players are handed on to the manager, who may then not wish to play them. But it, it is a very confusing situation. But um, I would like to think that Murphy is going to be with us next season as a squad player, if not an automatic starter, because uh, he's earned that right and he's one of the best crossers of the ball that, uh, that we've got at the moment. Well, I did read yesterday in a story by our colleague Lee Ryder that it's emerged that actually Murphy has some sort of extension until 2022, so the contract isn't as pressing as we first thought it was. I don't know why that hadn't come out earlier. I mean, if you're maybe representative of, uh, you're representing Murphy, you, you maybe want to drop that out, out into the public a little bit earlier to stop people worrying. So it looks like, if I've read that right, that Murphy should be here um, next season at least. And I think obviously then he still needs to, to get a, a new deal. But he's certainly done enough for me to to warrant another three or four year deal. I think, um, you know, you know, I think he's 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 developed uh, really well. He's handled the pressure of slipping into a new position really well. You know, coming out, it's one thing to come in from the cold, but then to come in from the cold into a position which isn't your own, and then, you know, you've performed really well. You know, yeah. that's, that's something else. If you look at the, the goals and assists he's put in and, and, and the results 
you know that have followed that he must be worth I think off the top of my head about eight or nine points to Newcastle which when you look at the league table is is absolutely huge so oh, fair play to Murphy I've been impressed yep. and also John I don't know about you when you listen to him you know and I, I know players can play the PR game they know that the fans love to hear about them being a Geordie and, and, and kissing the badge and all that. But I he, I think he's absolutely sincere. When you hear him talk about his pride for playing for the club, he always seems to get emotional. I don't think he's a good actor or anything. I just think he's been he's been 100% sure. sincere. Sure, sure. Oh, I, I think, I mean, you know, when you look at his story, he's, he's done amazingly well because the kid, sort of a year ago, had no future at Newcastle whatsoever. He'd been shunted out on loan all over the place and we thought he's just going to go down the route that everybody else has gone down from Armstrong Armstrong to whoever to whoever he spends time out of various clubs and then is sold Um, but he's come back into the club he's fought all season he's scored a couple of crucial goals Uh, his use of the ball is excellent he's done the dirty work when he's had a play at wing back have been able to track back, like Richie on the other side. It's not automatic to him. It's not his natural game to to track back and get in tackles, but he's more than willing to do it. That's not Sam Maximum won't do that. It's not his game, and therefore he doesn't play to it because it's not his strength. But they, but both Richie and uh, Murphy have um, done the dirty work necessary and uh, have done it well, and you know, good luck to them. Excellent. Let's talk about the opposition then. David Moyes in charge of West Ham and he actually came in a few months after Steve Bruce came in at Newcastle and has had more progress with West Ham and, and we know that one of Steve Bruce's lines was it's a work in progress at Newcastle and yes, you can argue you know, West Ham have had a bit more money to spend, but let's not forget that you know Newcastle have spent quite a bit as well and like you mentioned before, John, you know West Ham are... Top of four battling for the Champions League. Newcastle are, are, are looking just to secure safety. It's the the contrast between the two teams is is vast. Well, I mean, I mean, it, it's amazing because David Moyes, uh, his reputation had been totally tarnished since he had that long and and decent spell with Everton because he'd flopped at places like Manchester United and Sunderland, and his reputation was on. You know, bottom line, he wasn't top of the list for clubs who were looking for managers. Yet he's gone into West Ham and in no space, having done well the first time he went in for a short period, gone back there and very, very quickly has turned a club that really was like Newcastle United. The the fans were passionate. They there was an expectancy, but that was never reached, that expectancy. He has turned around it terrifically. And, and what annoys me is that you get the Newcastle situation. You've got Gabia Bangalore this week suggesting that um, because we have actually won a game at Burnley, that um, Newcastle United fans should be apologising to Steve Bruce for the the way we have uh, he has been treated by the fans. I mean, please, is he joking? Uh, I mean, Newcastle are fourth bottom of the league. We were told in the pre-season that uh, they were aiming for a top 10 finish and that was quite capable and this work in progress was going to see an improvement 
per season the whole way through. And because we've won three games out of the last two, the fans owe an apology. I suggest if they, if an apology comes, and it ought to come, it, Newcastle fans will be bottom of the list. It should come from people within St James's Park, whether it's the owner or the the um, the chief uh, coach, to to apologise for the sort of season we've had. And I mean, we are looking here. If the clubs finished the season where they are now, we are looking at West Ham fourth top and us fourth bottom. Now, surely David Moyes is the one that deserves a lot of pats on the back for transforming his club so quickly, whereas in exactly the same time, we have gone backwards. So, you know, I don't know what, why Bonneville thinks we should be uh, apologising, fans should be apologising at Newcastle. If there's any apologies, it's, it's Moyes that deserves the apologies for the job. He has done terrific at West Ham regardless of where they finish to have West Ham fourth top with only seven games to go is terrific it, and is a bit better than fourth bottom with eight games to go or whatever it is <laughs> um, you know it's quite absurd and this is when it hammers home to Newcastle fans when you see Steve Bruce v David Moyes that you know um, the, the real the real eye-opener has been what Moyes has achieved at West Ham because nobody thought that was possible. And the performance West Ham put in on the opening day of the season when they were shocking against us uh, showed the amount of work that had to be done. And, of course, we've mentioned in passing, apart from the fact that he's improved several players considerably, uh, I mean, the signing of Jesse Lingard on loan must be the best loan signing of the season by a million miles. I mean, he has transformed uh, that team up front. He's been absolutely magnificent. Um, so really, you know, we should be looking at the West Ham situation and saying, from a standing start, Newcastle and West Ham last summer were probably in the same position as each other. And look at the golf between the two of them now. I'd love West Ham to break into that top four, just to break up that, you know, the big oh. teams. And, and they deserve it as well. They're not there out of luck or anything. The results have warranted the position they're in and the chance to qualify for the Champions League. And, you know, I enjoy watching them play as well. They play without any fear. And one man who has helped that and has strengthened West Ham's, you know, push for the top four is, is Jesse Lingard. We know Stu Bruce wanted him in January, felt that the Man United connections would help him secure him on loan. I mean, John, Newcastle United battling for safety or West Ham battling for the Champions League, where are you going to head to? Well, without a shadow of doubt, without a shadow of doubt. And if you looked at the way West Ham play going forward, uh, in comparison to the way Newcastle United have played all season in terms of a timidness, if you're forward, would you think you're going to get more chances in the Newcastle United side or more chances in the West Ham side? Um, and the, there's no comparison whatsoever. Uh, no comparison whatsoever. Um, but, of course, you know, Newcastle ought to be capable of being in the market for people like Lingard and being the traction because... 50,000 fans in St. James's Park when football 
returns to normal. Um, one of the most vibrant places to play in the world. And you would, the adulation you will get as a striker, if you do what Lingard's done in his nine games or something for West Ham, scores eight goals and X number of assists. I mean, hero worshipped on Tyneside if, if you did that here. Um, but we can't compare. And, um, you know, it. regardless of whether West Ham make the Champions League or the Europa League or whatever, to be fourth top with only seven minutes to go from the standing start they have had uh, shows that Newcastle fans aren't stupid for complaining about what's been served up in their name all this season because what we've had is dross and capital letters and what West Ham has had is a breath of fresh air. Mm. Let's finish with what I know is your favourite part of these podcasts and John, let's get your score prediction for Saturday. <laughs> no, there's there's a good one. Um, I mean, it was easy. On the last two games, what worries me is their ability um, at the sharp end of the field. And... Um, what worries me with that is our first-half performance at Burnley. Um, what gives me hope is Sam Maximum, Wilson and Almirin. Um I think if we get a draw, we'll have done well. Uh, but we've got to go for the victory because we know that while West Ham are a marvellous side, as a one-off, things can change. I mean, we did the double over Everton this season. Uh, we've also been horrendous against some of the bottom three sides. Um, I think we'll be lucky to get a draw, but that's what I would like to see happen. We could get swept away. If they start as quick as they have in the last three games, when they've been three nil up and inside fifty minutes each time, then good night, Irene. But uh, I'll keep my fingers crossed for a draw. Newcastle are going to stay up. They've got six points at the moment, but the reason they're going to stay up is is thanks to Fulham, not thanks to Newcastle United. Fulham is the, the biggest asset Newcastle United have had this season is not San Maximum or Wilson, it's Fulham. And thank you very much, Cottages, for doing what you've done for us. Now joined by West Ham writer Tom Clark. Tom, how are you doing first off? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Uh, I mean, can't complain covering West Ham this season, that's for sure. I was going to say, we were just saying that you joined kind of halfway through the season and it's uh, it's not looked a bad mood, mood for yourself. Uh, no, so I, um, I officially started at the beginning of January. So uh, I did the player ratings on January the 1st, which was um, when West Ham beat Everton. And then it's just been all uphill from there. It start, started in 10th. I think they've lost three league games since I since I took over and had an FA Cup exit as well in there but other than that it's just been it's just been absolutely flying and uh, and the guy I replaced uh, Sam Inkazol who moved over to to Chelsea you know in in the hopes of uh, covering Champions League glory is uh, just fingers crossed that uh, West Ham get the top four at Chelsea's expense and his move looks uh, looks a horrendous one <laughs> I was thinking about that actually before um uh, we, we got started has anyone from West Ham put you down as their lucky charm then I've, I've done it myself. I've, I've included myself in the talking points. That uh, at one point in the season, I was like, "This is getting silly." The the record, the way it's going. Then 
there has to be a, a Tom Clark effect here. Um, I've, uh, I've yet to mention it to, to David Moyes. I'm not sure he'd take um, too kindly all his hard work being put down to a uh, to some journalist coming in and taking over the club, but uh, but a fair few of the fans have uh, have in, have enjoyed it and uh, and have definitely uh, said that there's got to be some kind of link in there. Uh, I think that's pushing it a bit, but uh, yeah, I'd like to think so. <laughs> I'm just looking at the form here from the last ten games, and West Ham have picked up twenty points. Newcastle have only picked up ten. And I think for many Newcastle United fans, you know, if you'd looked at the last run of games to finish off the season. West Ham probably would have been one of those where they think they can pick up some points. However, when you look at it now in the present day, I think many Newcastle United fans see nothing but a defeat on Saturday just simply because West Ham are really in a good run of form. Yeah, I mean, on, on paper, at the start of the season, of course, nobody nobody saw this this West Ham season happening. And, and yeah, you, you know, at, at the beginning of the season, you'd have put this down as... Uh, you know, a mid-table clash, maybe, possibly. You know, I'd, I'd, you'd, you'd certainly know more about Newcastle's hopes at the start of the season. But mid-table was absolutely 100% West Ham's ambition and probably the height of their ambition. If Even, I'm sure, David Moyes, if he was totally honest with himself, I think he would have been absolutely delighted with 10th and a couple of, couple of decent, you know, cups. It kind of always does depend who you get. You know, West Ham got Manchester United and they could have actually taken that game on a little bit more and, and tried for an FA Cup run. So I think that's probably the only disappointment of the season is is the lack of um, attacking endeavour in that game, shall we say. But but yeah, I mean, when, when you look at it now, when West Ham are in fourth, they've just beaten Leicester and Wolves, okay, gave away a three-goal lead against Arsenal. But, but yeah, one thing West Ham have done really well is beaten the teams who are in mid-table and the bottom half of the table. They haven't had great results against, uh, against the teams at the top of the table bar Bar the double over Leicester, and uh, I mean they beat Spurs a few weeks ago, but you know Spurs have their own issues going on. But but in general, the the teams in and around them they haven't had the great results, but they picked up their points, uh, you know, from everybody from seventh, eighth, and down. Yeah, I mean I really enjoy watching West Ham. I think that, you know it's just good to see a team trying to break into that top four and they, de- they deserve to be there. They're not there by luck, you know, like we say that their results warrant a place in the top four and I'm just hoping, I do hope they can get there, but I do hope, it, you know, they do get beat on Saturday off, off Newcastle. Um, a lot of people talk about that first game of the season and Newcastle won 2-0 against West Ham. What has changed since then? Because, you know, West Ham were absolutely dreadful that day. Yeah, I, I mean, I I wasn't at the game, I, but I I remember watching it at the start of the season, and you know, with plenty of friends who are West Ham fans, there was a lot of talk of like, oh God, not this again. This is going to be a, you know, this is going to be a really tough season. And you know, with all due respect, they were looking at Newcastle as a team who you know they should be beating, and thinking that you know, okay, maybe at the beginning of the season, Newcastle's hopes were slightly different with the signings of you know Callum Wilson, so thinking that maybe he could push them further up the table but um, I mean I've got two friends in particular who are West Ham and Newcastle fans and and every year the two of them have a um, have a have a little bet as to who's going to finish above you know which which team's going to finish above the other and, and the West Ham fan was, was absolutely gutted with that result but but since then and, and David Moyes has said he was actually really surprised um, with that result and not just the result but the performance because he said he hadn't seen that coming from from when West Ham returned um, in 
May, June, whenever it was after lockdown, they went on a really good run. They were they were still in relegation danger then, and they went on a great run, finished the season strongly. And he said they had a you know whatever the, the curtailed preseason was. He said it was a really good preseason, and they were just absolutely shocked by it. And then the week later, they played Arsenal, lost, but played so much better. And then it was uh, it was the Leicester game after that, and then it just from there from there on the seasons just just only been going one way, and it's. Um, I mean, new players have settled in, and uh, since December or so, Craig Dawson's come in, made a big difference to the defence. Um, obviously, Lingard came in in January, but even before then, West, you know, it, it's it's not quite true to say Lingard has made them a Champions League chasing team. West Ham were fifth when Lingard joined; they they were they were doing well. He's just made them better. Yeah, Steve Bruce wanted Lingard, and obviously he's headed to to West Ham. Fancying a Champions League challenge rather than a fight for safety. It's um, I think Newcastle fans look at West Ham with a bit of envy, obviously, you know, because there's no reason, like you say, that the, the hope at the start of the season for West Ham definitely was not a top four challenge, you know, but it just shows with a bit of, uh, with, with the right head coach and with the right movement in the, in, in the transfer market, what you can do. And, you know, that it shows you that that top four is definitely vulnerable to, to teams who, who do it right. You mentioned there, the previous game and West Ham fans were looking at it as one that they should win, that their team should win. I assume that this is the case for this Saturday as well. Yeah, I, especially considering the form and the places in the league table. And with Chelsea coming up uh, the weekend after, it okay, as a fan or as a journalist, you can look like two games ahead and say, oh, that Chelsea game's huge. But it's only huge if, well, it'll be huge no matter what, but it'll be bigger if they get the three points because Leicester being in cup action, West Ham can go third this weekend. And then, you know, then then the pressure is on Leicester next week to when they play to to get their three points. They are having, you know, back-to-back defeats. And then Chelsea game the weekend after, if West Ham win, then they go into that game ahead of Chelsea. So, but it is, this is definitely, I'm sure the manager and the players aren't looking any further ahead. I mean, I know he isn't having spoken to him about it, but fans maybe. But yeah, this is, it's not a, a given of three points. Of course it's not, but it's its certainly, you know, when, when you look at the seven games um, remaining, this is one where three points is an absolute must if West Ham want to be in the top four. In terms of the players that Newcastle have to watch out for, who's the one that you, if you had a chance to speak to Steve Bruce, you'd say this is the West Ham player you need to keep quiet on Saturday? Jesse Lingard. Um, I mean, it, it. there are other and there are very good West Ham players. It likes to Thomas Suchek as well. But, but yeah, going forward, it, it's, it seems at the minute, it's like it's the Jesse Lingard show. And if he's if he's not scoring, he's assisting. And if he's not assisting, he's, you know, the, the, the goal against Wolves that he wasn't uh, goal or assist. In. He, he had the ball in the, the corner. It looked like the defender was just going to check him out. And it's just a little bit of skill around the defender. Then Masuaku gets the ball, crosses it, Fornells finish. And you're like, yeah, lovely finish from, from Fornells. Perfect pass from Masuaku. None of that happens if Lingard doesn't, you know, have a flash of genius to get past his, his marker. And he's just, he's just involved in everything, absolutely everything at the club right now. And, um, yeah, if, if you have to highlight one player, it, it's harsh on the others because they've been you know, phenomenal as well. But Lingard has just, he's just been absolutely ridiculously good. And, Far, far better than even even Moyes you know, has admitted he's he's had more of an impact than he thought he would do. West Ham seem to come flying out of the traps. Uh, John Gibson, who we spoke to earlier, mentioned that is what West Ham have done recently. And Newcastle tend to start slowly. And I'm just wondering, do you think we'll see the same from West Ham 
this Saturday where they'll come flying out and, you know, they'll look to be two, three goals up at half-time as they have been in, in kind of recent games? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's working for them so far. Just, just uh, It was a slightly slower start at Leicester. I, I was... Um, Sat next to one of the uh, one of the West Ham media guys, and after about twenty five minutes, we were looking at each other. We we're like, "God, this is a it's a slow burn. This isn't a great game compared to you know, we, We've been spoiled in the in the two weeks before when West Ham have been three 0 up by by uh, 35, 38 minutes. So we were about half an hour in, be like, "Come on, they haven't scored yet. What's going on here?" And then you know, minutes later, bang bang, two goals in the space of four minutes. They were two 0 up after um after forty minutes, I think it was on the weekend. And yeah, it it. You can you can see that that's that is the game plan. It, it's get out the get out the opposition, you know, from from kickoff. I mean, it's not it's not new. You know, Steve Bruce can just look at the last three games, and West Ham have been three 0 up in all three of them. So you know, you can look and say, right, they're going to be they're going to be at us at us from minute one. But you know, knowing it and stopping it are two different things. Mm, I think, yeah. I mean, if you watch that Burnley game, you know, this is Burnley who haven't had a good run of form themselves and they were made to look I think Barcelona's maybe a bit of a stretch, but they were made to look rather good in the first you'd say even the first kind of fifty minutes until uh Alan St. Maxman came on, you know, Burnley were just on top and Dubravka had to pull off a few good saves. And they should have gone in the half time more than one goal to the to the good. And I do fear West Ham they'll be more clinical, I think, than Burnley will. And I think that's probably seen throughout the season and mentioned it again to, to Gibbo um, in our chat previously, that I just feel if West Ham come out as they have done in previous games, they will take the chances which we saw Burnley not do. And for all Martin Dubravka can pull off one or two, three great saves, like you say, when you have Jesse Lingard in great form or or whoever, uh, you know, bearing down on goal, I do fear, you know, West Ham being two or three up at half time if Newcastle start in the same lackluster way they have done in, in not just the Burnley game, but for actual, you know, they've done that for, for many games over the past few months as well. Yeah, one of the things you do look with West Ham is like, at some point, maybe maybe the bubble, no pun intended, but maybe the bubble's going to burst because, um, I mean, it depends where you stand on, you know, what, what your views are on XG and stuff, but West Ham are massively overperforming. Like Jesse Lingard has, has never had a period like this in his life. I mean, his entire career, is, he's never had form like this before. And and it's, it's one of those, you know, fantasy football managers will know, it's like, do you jump on the bandwagon now? Or like, or is it going to, is it going to finish? But his form is just incredible. And, you know, Jared Bowen's got three and three now, and he's been up coming off the bench against Wolves. He came on, scored after a couple of minutes. And, Sometimes, like, you know, I'm sure a lot of West Ham fans are like this because uh, having got to know quite a few, I know they're fairly pessimistic in general. And it's like, you do have to pinch yourself. I mean, like, 3-0, again, three games in a row, that's, you know, that's nuts. And I'm sure David Moyes would absolutely love a 1-0 win, but where they just defend really, really well and there's no threat of the other team coming back into it. But, I mean, as, as you said a couple of times, it's like, you know what, if we keep going 3-0 up, I'll take that because he'll, he'll back his team to see the games out, you know, they... They got caught against Arsenal, but and Leicester had their chances, and Wolves had their chances. So um, riding their luck a little bit, but but they're deserving the, the, the three goals because of the the way they're attacking. And you know, with, with Newcastle, like like you say, um, against uh, against Burnley, it's, you know, Alanson Maximum seemed to to make a difference. So I'm assuming he's he's going to be starting this weekend. Is that right? From your info? Yeah, fingers crossed. We'll find out more tomorrow with Steve Bruce's press conference on Friday morning. But you would assume so. 
know, he changes the game when he comes off the bench. And it's kind of clever by Steve Bruce in many ways to, you know, just to hold them back and to, to hit Burnley when the legs started getting tired. But you assume, given how he performed on, on Sunday against Burnley, the assist and then the fantastic solo goal, he has to start, you know, because you know, Newcastle, without him, just look, there's, there's no threat. Um, you mentioned Lingard there he, he, in the fantasy football. He is my captain in the fantasy football and he has been for, for many weeks and it's paying off. Um, and it's interesting because you mentioned there the West Ham have conceded a few goals later on in these games and the, the likes of Leicester had the chances, you know, they were pegged back by Arsenal Wolves, you mentioned there. How will they handle someone like Alan St. Maxman who just wants to run forward like that's all he wants to do. He just gets the ball and he's straight towards the opposition goal. He's got the skill, the pace. You know, very few defenders can handle him. We saw, you know, uh, Tarkovsky, who's a brilliant defender, and he looked like, you know, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. St. Maxim just had him in his pocket, and it was it was great to see from a Newcastle point of view. So, how will the likes of, you know, Dawson and Co handle a player like St. Like St. Maxman? Well, before I answer that, that's, would you expect him to play through the middle or off, off one of the wings? Because that, I think that will make a difference, especially with Aaron Creswell's um, injury, because he he's moved from you know, left-back to left-centre-back of, of, of a three, and his injury will mean a bit of a, a bit of a rejig. And I, I think where Sir Maxman plays might affect where West Ham, how West Ham would deal with him. Well, it's interesting because Steve Bruce mentioned this before the Burnley game and he said he's got a bit of a conundrum to, to, to sort because how do you fit St. Maxman into into a into a, a team in a way? You know, many people think he's best out on the flank. He was playing a bit more of a of a of a, of a kind of a free central role against against Burnley. And I, I, it's it's really interesting because he has wanted to play in that number ten role and it just didn't work. He was ineffective and then Kind of Miguel Almiron's made it his own role, and and I think that's where Miggy will start. So it's just a case of do Newcastle play two up top, or maybe I don't know. It's it's really strange because um, I think he'll probably play out on the flank, but just with license to kind of roam, um, and that's that's where that's what he's good at. You know, you'll pick the ball up and just run at players. I don't think you know. He, yeah, I think he's probably going to start on the flank and with license to roam inwards or just just at defenders in general, really? I think, yeah, I mean, that would probably be more beneficial for Newcastle because the way West Ham have set up in Declan Rice's absence is with three centre-backs, two wing-backs, but then Thomas Suchek is playing a little bit deeper alongside Mark Noble. So it, you kind of got like your three centre-backs and then two defensive midfielders in front of them. And, it, and it's kind of like, we'll win the ball, let Masuaka bomb up, bomb up the left wing. Fornals can, can play through through the middle and Bowen and, and Lingard. And it's kind of like, just just let those guys go forward and do their thing and we'll be solid at the back. And with with Creswell being out, uh, if, if Sir Maxman plays off the right, he'll probably be coming up against Masuaka, who is really good going forward. But he was at fault for the um, uh, for, for Leicester's first goal. He was, you know, he, He's got a lovely bit of skill on him and he sometimes can dribble out of defence and go around three players. And, and you, even in an empty stadium, you can hear an audible like, ooh, from the from the press box. I mean, like, lovely. But then when he gives it away and Ian Acho, you know, scores the first goal, you say, well, he just didn't need to do that. And I would worry about the maximum up against Masuaku. But then if he was playing more in the middle, I, I would be less worried about him because Mark Noble, yeah, okay, he's not got the legs, but he, he used to, but he's got a very good 
positional sense, Suchek stays with him, and then you've got three centre-backs behind him. And I I think that um, Angelo Ogbonna could be back for this weekend, and he's he's a very, very good central defender. So if, if he was back in to the centre defence with Noble and Suchek in front of him, there's not going to be a huge amount of space there. The space will be will be wide. And I mean, if um, if we, without Creswell, that will mean uh, Diop plays the left of the back three, and Masuaku is the left wing back, and that is 100%. That is West Ham's weak weak point there. If you if you look at the team when they line up, and okay, it's a five in defence, but it's a three when they when they have the ball. But if it's a five in defence, that that left centre back of as Diop and Masuaku, that's that's where West Ham can uh, where Newcastle can get at West Ham, and particularly you know if Newcastle put their best player up against them. Then yeah, I mean the, the alternative is, and and he might do. He might choose one of the youngsters, someone like Ben Johnson, who who is a better defender than Masuaku. He doesn't offer anywhere near as much going forward, but he's he's a more solid defender. But you know there are injuries in the squad, and for the last you know five six minutes of um, of the game against Leicester, Ben Johnson's a twenty one year old fullback was playing central midfield because Mark Noble, you know, and you know you know he's injured if Mark Noble goes off. He's you know he's he's playing on, but he was walking off, couldn't couldn't move his arm. So it. There, there are a few injury worries for West Ham, but uh, but yeah, I think um, I mean from a personal perspective, I'm going to be touching wood here, but I, I think West Ham should have enough. If, if you're pinpointing just one or two players of the opposition to be looking out for, I, I think West Ham can cope with that. Yeah, I think I, I think West Ham will win on Saturday, unfortunately, just simply because, of, like you say, the players they've got, and then. The form they're in, it's all about confidence, isn't it? You mentioned there, you know, there's a fear the bubble might burst at some point. But I think when you've when you're so confident going into games and, and the results are working and the performances as well, uh, you know, I think when you face it in your castle side, which is which will come into this game with more confidence because of the way they, they beat Burnley, but obviously they, they won and you know that the, the six points clear Fulham now, but I just fear We've seen before where they've finished games strongly or they've picked up a good point or a good win. And then the next game, they've started the game in exactly the same fashion as they started the previous game, which has just been lackluster. And you kind of like, you know, that little emoji of the, the stick man with the sticks, you know, poking something, saying, do something. It's like that. And it's just, you just wonder how Newcastle will start. Um, and, you know, the St. Maximum question is is massive. You, you, I would imagine you'll play out on the, on the flank. Um, yeah, I mean, other than St. Maximus, is there anyone else you're looking forward to seeing from, from the Newcastle side? Well, I was just actually going to ask, like, will, would, would Steve Bruce like, change his tactics and formation to match up with, with West Ham? Because it, with, with Declan Rice in the team, it was, you know, the 4-2-3-1 was the go-to, un, unless they were playing, um, you know, Manchester City or Manchester United when when they did, and it, and it didn't work. Well, West Ham were decent against Manchester City, but both games against Manchester United in League and Cup, they went ultra defensive, and it and it just didn't work. And so, you know, just just wondering with with West Ham being the the more on form team of the two, would would do you think my um, Bruce might alter the way he sets Newcastle up to face them? I don't think so. He tends to stick with whatever system suits his side. Um, so if they get a win, he tends to stick with that that formation. So I mean, I've just checked back there on the on the good old BBC website there, and they've got they've got a five three two. So I I don't even I think they'll stick with five at the back, and then it'll be interesting to see how those in you know in front 
line up because if Wilson plays and he, he's fit, you can imagine him going back to kind of the the five two one and then the, the kind of the two on the outside. So Wilson would play out on the right, St. Maxman out on the left. Miguel Miron is that kind of free roll in the number ten with Shelby and Longstaff in the middle. I don't think he would. It's it's been a frustration in many ways of Newcastle United fans when they talk about systems and formations because you look at the Burnley performance and you th- you know he stuck with this formation that he'd stuck with for weeks and weeks and weeks and they got against Burnley and everyone was saying that it'll it won't work because it's it it works that formation is beneficial to uh, to Brighton sorry and it won't work and it proved out it didn't work you know Brighton were dominant they won with ease and it's been a frustration where Steve Bruce is stuck with the formation as opposed to like you see maybe adapting to fight off the the opposition but no I think he'll stick with with how it worked on on Sunday against Burnley other than maybe just switching Wilson out on the flank where he's he's proved a success when when fit yeah, I mean, there, there is an, an alternative for, for West Ham, especially with a couple of injuries. And it's just, just come to me, actually, because it was something that um, David Moyes did against Aston Villa when he was really worried about Jack Grealish. And he basically played two right-backs. He, he played Ryan Fredericks in front of um, Vladimir Soufal. And, and Grealish was... I mean, he's such a good footballer as well, but he was just he just did nothing for... 75, 80 minutes of the game, playing on the wing. And then, then he moved inside to basically get away from, from being double-marked. And he actually provided an assist for, um, for Ollie Watkins when he did that. But by then, West Ham were 3-0 up. You know, it, it was too late. And it was, it, I'm just, with, with a few injuries, I, I wouldn't be massively shocked if, if West Ham did do something similar with, with, on, on that left side. You know, it's opposite to... Side to, uh, to Greenish where he is playing, but to, to double mark so maximum because you know, I haven't watched Newcastle anywhere near as much as you, and okay, maybe with Callum Wilson coming in, but but he just does seem to be just just this one man seems to be the big threat. So he's like, you kind of like you nullify him, and then you let Bowen and Lingard and Fournals do their thing, and you're back then to get a couple of goals. And it, it I'd it, it'd be interesting to see when when the team sheet comes out because that that one against the Villa did did kind of throw us all. We didn't expect Lingard to get a start, you know, having not played, haven't, basically hadn't played for a year. He played two cup games, and played a Premier League game for three hundred and sixty six days, I think it was, and hadn't played ninety minutes for three hundred and ninety nine days, something something crazy like that. Throws him in from from the start, but then also didn't didn't expect him to be tracking back all the time because you know they doubled up on the other side to to you know to kind of counteract that. So it I, I've I've a little bit given up with with the formation talk and because because they line up, you start it and then five minutes in, David Moyes decides, okay, something's not working, we'll switch bone, we'll switch Lingard, we'll we'll move this and this around. And having just sent out a a, a live tweet and a live post on the blog being like, right, West Ham are definitely in a three five two with these players here, here, here. Five minutes later it, it's it's so so fluid and it's two formations rolled into one. It, they're a completely different team when they have the ball and when they don't have the ball. Which it, it depends if you're a, what kind of football fan you are. If, if you're a little bit of a, an anorak, there's nothing wrong with that because I I love watching that side of the game. Then then it is really interesting to see all the different movements and the patterns of play. But it 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 can get really confusing when when you just see you know the team sheet written down or when the BBC writes it down or something. But it, it, within ten minutes, it's it's different and they don't change it round. So it's a uh, 
I think a lot of it does come down to who the opposition are and what they offer as well. It was something that didn't work for West Ham playing the uh, the Manchester clubs and playing against Liverpool. You know, Liverpool were absolutely phenomenal that that day. It was kind of like watching Liverpool last season rather than this season. But it's um, yeah, I, it, it's three points or nothing. I think for West Ham, a draw wouldn't be a good result. And and Moyes said at the end end of the game, and he is not the kind of person to normally say this. He said, you know what, like. The position we're in, seven games to go, we're going to have to take a few risks. You know, it, basically, if, if it's if it's a draw with ten minutes to go, West Ham are going for it. They they would rather lose than lose trying to go for the win than, than settle. So uh, I think it's going to be a good game anyway. It's going to be good fun. I'm really looking forward to coming up for it. What's your score prediction? Uh, I'm going to go for two 0 West Ham. No, I, I agree. I think West Ham will win. I think it's all about how Newcastle starts. Because if they start, as I've mentioned many times already in this episode, if they start in the same way they have done recently, West Ham will just have an absolute field day if they start as they have done against, um, you know, Leicester and, and what have you. It's just that, yeah, if Newcastle just if Newcastle are just standoffish as they were against Burnley, then I fear West Ham will have a very enjoyable day on Tyneside. I'm hoping I'm wrong and Newcastle can upset the odds. Um, you know, and there's no reason why they can't away the you know good result against Spurs, good win against Burnley. They just need to start better and just just grab the game by the scruff of the neck. You know, the six points clear for them. They've got a good opportunity really to probably put that to bed with a win on on Saturday, give or take a few more points. And as I mentioned right at the start, you know, Newcastle's games are coming up are tough, and this is probably one of the games where you look at it and you think. Yes, okay, West Ham in the top four, but you consider who else they've got coming up Newcastle. I think Man City, uh, Liverpool, Arsenal, you know, they're not easy games. So you're looking at these kind of, this game against West Ham is maybe the easiest of the tough games. And then you've got Sheffield United and Fulham, but we don't want to be in a position where Newcastle need to win against Fulham to stay up on the last day of the season because that would uh, would be a nightmare, wouldn't it, if that was the case. But um, Tom... Thank you for joining us on the Everything is Black and White podcast. Safe trip up to Tyneside. And fingers crossed from a Newcastle point of view, it's not an enjoyable afternoon for you. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I'll, maybe we'll have this chat after the game and we'll see which who's the happier the two of us. <laughs>